You're listening, listening to, to Bible, Bible Plus. Bible Plus from Seesaw. Bible Plus is a podcast featuring short, daily discussions of every chapter in the New Testament. Bible Plus is designed to increase Bible reading, understanding, and enjoyment. Get more out of the Bible. Hey guys, welcome back to Bible Plus. Today we're on Matthew chapter 27, a long but crucial central chapter to the gospel, um, centered on the death uh, of Jesus Christ on the cross. So where we're at in Matthew is Jesus has finished his teaching ministry on the kingdom and uh, finished his works, but Jesus didn't come just to talk about the kingdom. He came to bring in the kingdom, and ultimately, the, the paradoxical way that God does that is through Jesus's death. And this is surprising to the disciples and to us. Uh, but what, we, what we'll see today is Jesus's death is not his defeat. It's the basis of his victory, and it's his way to the throne. And that's because the main enemies to the kingdom of God uh, and his reign are Satan, sin, and death. It's not, it's not uh, political regimes. It's not sinful human beings. It's behind that Satan, sin, and death. And Jesus' death on the cross destroys Satan, removes sin, and nullifies death. There's verses that, that uh, talk about this in the New Testament we don't have time to look at, but his death is the destruction of Satan. His death is the removal of sin, and his death, like others have said, is the death of death. It nullifies death, and it brings in his victory, and it's his way to the throne. So we're looking at, uh, you know, picking up here with the trial under Pilate, and Pilate's asking just one question, are you the king of the king of the Jews? Now, the Jewish leaders ask him a different question in the last chapter, are you the son of God? And I think it's interesting because these two titles center on Jesus's identity. Who is Jesus? And this twofold identity ties into God's eternal purpose as seen through Genesis 126, image and dominion. As the son of God, which Jesus is, he is the totality of the divine expression, bearing God's life and expressing his image. As the king, king of the Jews, he is the king of the kingdom. So he is bringing in God's reign and dominion. And so the good news of the gospel is that under God's sovereignty, history's most horrific act, the murder of Jesus, you know, that unjust sham trial, that act accomplishes God's eternal purpose. And Jesus is designated the Son of God through his resurrection, and he's inaugurated as Lord and Christ in his ascension. So let's let's get into this chapter with three main points. I'll keep it kind of brief here. Uh, there's just so much going on here, but I think we can think of this chapter um, in its essence as the story of his death, the meaning of his death, and the effect of his death. The story, the meaning, and the effect. Okay, let's start with the story of his death. Of course, this is the whole chapter but I think it's important not just to fly through this chapter looking for, okay, what's, what is this teaching? What's the takeaway? What, how does this apply to me? This is such a vivid chapter. It's such a powerful chapter that we need to read slowly, prayerfully, imaginatively. We need to read ourselves into these scenes and listen to, you know, be there 
and and hear this unfold and watch this unfold. You know, Paul said in Galatians 3.1, he's asking a, a group of believers who were moving away from the gospel. He said, who has bewitched you? Who bewitched you? Who put a spell on you? Because it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was vividly portrayed crucified. And so if we have, if we could see this with our own eyes and, you know, read, read ourselves into the story and let this impact us, let it affect us, the only thing that could shake us and move us away in Paul's mind is some sort of witchcraft, some sort of spell. It, it's unnatural to see this scene and to ignore it, uh, to, to live our lives as if we're the same. Um, this, this story should, should uh, powerfully impact us. And that's because Paul says in Galatians 2.20, just two verses right before 3.1, he says, the son of God loved me and gave himself up for me. So when we read this story and realize this was done not just generically for the world or for the church, but for me, it was my sins that held him there. Those nails, those that crown of thorns, those sufferings were done for me. That will have a powerful, revolutionizing effect on our life. And so, you know, the the, the crucifixion here is described in very uh, terse, uh, terse description, uh, not imaginative, not imaginatively, or you know, like a novel. But if we understand what the crucifixion was and what that involved, then our response will be consecration and love and worship and service. Okay, so let's keep going here. Um, that one's up. Uh, that one's left up to you to read yourself into the story and really let it impact you. Uh, but let's go into the meaning of his death. This really gets into verse forty-six, and it says, "About the ninth hour, Jesus is on the cross, and he cries out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani." That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, this is a famous verse. Uh, Jesus is forsaken by God, which is very strange because everything we've seen about Jesus up to this point is he's the king of the kingdom of God, and he's absolutely righteous. In fact, in this chapter alone, Judas says, I've betrayed innocent blood. So he regrets his his action. And 19, while Pilate is you know, having that sham trial, his wife comes up and interrupts the trial and says, I've been suffering all night and today from a dream because of this man. And he goes, have nothing to do with that righteous man. So this brings up a question. Why, when, you know, other martyrs in church history have have written and, and testified that they felt an incredible closeness to God as their death approach, why is the King, the Christ, the Son of God, the only righteous man, why is he forsaken by God? Why does he feel far from God at the time of his death? And how is it right that he dies and, and, and God doesn't, you know, support him and back him up? Well, there's a couple clues in this chapter that helps us understand the meaning of his death and relates to this verse. The first is in the last chapter, Matthew 26, 28. At the Last Supper, Jesus said, this is the blood of the covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins. So we know that Jesus' death is somehow related to our forgiveness, the forgiveness of our sins. And that word poured out for the forgiveness of sins should, if we're a perceptive uh, Old Testament reader, which they were this community back then, Matthew's community, community of readers, 
That should take us to Isaiah 53, 12, which is a famous chapter about the death of Christ. You know, as Christians, we take that to be the death of Christ. It says, I will divide to him a portion with the great because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he alone bore the sin of many. So Jesus is pouring out his life unto death because he's bearing our sins. And Matthew, back in chapter 8, quoted Isaiah, Isaiah 53. So we know that this is in Matthew's mind. So Jesus is making himself an offering our sins, offering for our sins. And in verse 11 of this chapter it says, he will make the many righteous. So he's the righteous one. He's the righteous man, like Pilate's wife said. And his death is going to make the many righteous. And so that's because he's becoming our substitute. 2 Corinthians 5.21, a famous verse says, He who did not know sin, he was made sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So why is Jesus forsaken by God on the cross? And what's the meaning of his death? The meaning is, and the reason why God forsakes him is because at that moment, in God's eyes, all the sins of the world were placed on Jesus, and God saw the lone, singular sinner. And God came in with his righteousness and judged sin in the person of Christ and poured out his wrath and turned his face away. The darkness that came over the land was an indicator that God was stepping in in his righteous judgment and wrath. And that, remember, Jesus drank that cup of wrath and shuddered in horror the night before as he contemplated what that involved. And the price for our forgiveness was the separation uh, from God that Jesus experienced. And that is the essence of, of hell, eternal separation from God. And Jesus experienced that through the eternal spirit for us so that we could be forgiven and be made the righteousness of God. Now, I know that's a lot, but Psalm 40, uh, this verse in Matthew 27, 46 is actually a quotation of Psalm 22, 1. And it's amazing because when we, that should take us back to that Psalm. When we read that Psalm, the last verse says, that which concerns the Lord will be told to a coming generation. They will come and declare his righteousness. So what's the meaning of the death of Christ? He was forsaken by God so that we could be accepted. He was judged so we could be released. He was stripped so that we could be clothed. He bore the curse so we could receive the blessing. And he was killed so we could live. He's our substitute for our sins. And it's all about righteousness, which is the basis of God's kingdom. The base of, base of God's kingdom is righteousness. So it's so awesome, the meaning of his death. The story of his death is impactful and powerful. But if we see the meaning of his death, we understand the gospel itself. Okay, let's look at the last one, the effect of his death. This is in verse 51 and 53. It's so amazing that Matthew records this. Three things happen that point to the effect of his death. Number one, the veil of the temple is split from top to bottom. Now that is a 60 foot tall veil. So ain't no one splitting that veil except for God from top to bottom. Number two, the earth was shaken. The rocks were split. And number three, the tombs were open and bodies of Old Testament saints were raised. This is crazy. 
But these three things have spiritual significance and point to the effect of the death of Christ. Remember, this is the righteous act of Christ becoming our substitute. When that was affected, when that was accepted by God, there's a powerful effect. Okay, what does this mean? The splitting of the veil is towards God, which means the separation between God and man is abolished. And what separated us was our sin. So when our sin is removed, the separation is removed, and we have access to God. Number two, the earth was shaken, the rocks were split. This is towards Satan. God, uh, the death of Christ has an effect on Satan. The strongholds of his kingdom and the base of his rebellion were shaken and broken. So that's what that means. And number three, the tombs were open. This is toward us. The effect of his death on us is that the power of death is conquered and his resurrection life is released and raises us up from our dead, deadness. So separation is removed. Satan's stronghold is shaken and broken. And we are empowered through his resurrection life and released from our bondage. So this is Matthew 27 in a nutshell, the story of his death. We need to read it and live it and experience it and let it change us. The meaning of his death, we need to understand that he was forsaken for us, the righteous on behalf of the unrighteous, so that we could become righteous. And number three, the effect of his death, removing the separation, shaking Satan's kingdom and destroying it, and overcoming the power of death and releasing resurrection life. Praise God for the death of Christ.